Last week we finished up our series on prayer, and I trust that God really blessed you with that. I trust that your prayer life became awakened, and that now you're hearing from God in that way as well as through His Word, because that's the two ways we hear and receive from God, as we get in the Word, and then we get into prayer, and we hear His voice through the Holy Spirit. So uh, hopefully that's becoming a more active, vibrant part of your faith a journey, because without it, you're really going to have a hard, hard way. So, uh, having, done, having said that, since we closed one series, we're going to be firing off another. Now, this is called Be Rich, um, and this is an interesting look at how we are going to be rich and practice being rich toward others. So it's really not about us getting rich, it's about how we can be rich to a world that God loves and has called us to love. <clears throat> so really, we're going to do this kind of in two parts, there'll be two parallel things going along each week. So one is we're going to get into the Word and we're going to look at what God says about generosity. We're going to look at what God says about what our religion should look like and how we are supposed to love and be rich toward others and how we can practice that. But we're also going to have a practical side where we are going to rally together and raise some funds so that we can be rich to some organizations in our community that are already doing things to touch and change lives. And so I'll, I'll talk about that as we kind of roll out through the, through the message, and that'll all become uh, more obvious. <clears throat> but our plan is to make this a long-term thing, an, an ongoing, maybe like every spring we'll do the Be Rich series or something. So uh, I'm not sure exactly how it's going to shake up, but that's our long-term plan. We want to have long-term relationships with some of these community organizations that we have here in Wells County and abroad, because they're not all just here. <clears throat> so when we think about being rich, we almost always jump straight away to the idea of wealth, the dollar figure in your bank account. What's your balance sheet look like? And I'm not sure that as Christians uh, that really holds true when we start looking at what God talks about when he says we are to be rich. Because when he talks about being rich, he talks about being rich toward people. It's never about the self. And so that's kind of a different look. So we're going to start off today, we're going to read, uh, start off in the book of Timothy as we dive in. Now Timothy, remember, Timothy was sort of a student or he was mentored by Paul. So he has a church now, he's a pastor, and Paul has sent Timothy this letter, which we call Timothy. Um, and so Timothy's received this letter, and in this letter he's received instruction from Paul that he's to pass on to the people in his congregation. So it's instruction for those people like yourself sitting out here uh, hearing a message from the Word. So we're able to instruct and be instructed by that again today. So just remember that. That's how that worked. Because um, when we read this, it's read like somebody telling you to tell someone else. So that's, the, that's kind of the mindset. So we're going to start in uh, chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. We're going to read that. It says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. And boy, isn't it. Uh, but to be... But... but Put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our good enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, that would be in heaven, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So that would be like as opposed to life that's not really life, which is kind of what we're living here. We're just getting through it and we're, we're carrying on until we eventually end up in this perfect kingdom which God intended for us from the beginning of creation. <clears throat> now, as we think about being rich, very few of us in this room, if I were to say, hey, are you rich? Very few, if anybody, would raise their hand and say, yeah, I'm rich. 
None of us really think of ourselves that way, but I just want to point out a couple of things and get, us, get ourselves on a relative scale with the rest of the world. If you live in the United States, and probably if you're in this very room, uh, chances are on a world standard you are to some degree very rich. If, uh, it would be rare indeed that somebody sitting here this morning would not have access to fresh drinking water. That's clean. It would be rare indeed if somebody sitting in these seats today doesn't at least have access to food every day. Maybe not three meals, but you get to eat something every day. It'd be rare. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it'd be rare. It would be very uncommon, although not as rare as the other two, that somebody sitting here today doesn't at least have some sort of shelter where they can go in and out of the weather not, and, and probably have a place you can sleep at night. Now, we may have some people that come here that don't have that, but it's not, it's not common among us. So, so here's the numbers, though. If you have two out of the three, pick any two, so water, food, and shelter. If you have two out of the three, then you are richer than 50% of the world's population. 50% of the world's population don't even have two of those. They only have one. If you have all three, you are richer than 75% of the world's population. So 75% of the world's population only have two of those three. So by that standard, I would say none of us here are this, have the kind of poverty that we see in some places. And I only say that not because I'm trying to pick and choose who's rich and who's not, but to say that there is always somebody that you are richer than. If you're, just, if you're in America, there's, there's, there's not going to be somebody else on the planet that I can't find that's not way worse off than you because there are many, many. So, so that just kind of sets the stage for that. But that's not the point of this verse. The point of this verse is not who's rich and who's not. That's not what it's about. The point of this verse is this. Whatever God has provisioned you, whatever you've been given by God, and the verse points out, whatever you have, it came from him. He said, whatever that portion he has given you of his richness, which is infinite, be generous with it. You're to share it. Find somebody that doesn't have as much as you have and be generous and share it. And that's the point of that passage. Here's an interesting fact about Americans as well. Uh, another little tidbit. So, uh, on the whole, the American culture, we give uh, to charities and to help the needy and so forth more than almost any other culture on the earth. So our nation is good, generally, at giving. Although it's a real small percentage, but it's more than most nations. More, almost more than any other culture there is. But, as an American, the more we make, the less we give across the board. Now, I'm not talking about raw dollars because certainly somebody who makes a million dollars a year is giving more actual dollars to charity than someone who makes $15,000 a year. But as a portion, as a percentage of what their income is, a percentage of what their wealth is, the more they make, the smaller percentage they give. And that seems very backwards, but that's just, that's what the numbers bear out. And I think that's kind of a sad indictment of our situation. Jesus even talked about this very thing, this, this proportionate thing, that, that God looks at the, the proportion or the percentage more than the actual dollars. He told a parable, a parable about the woman, a widow, who goes to, to the temple to give her, her, her offering, and it's a real small amount, right? It's a tiny little thing. But he says, but for her, it was infinitely huge because it was all she had. She gave a much greater percentage than all those other wealthy people that came and gave a little pittance. And so 
he pointed out right away that God's not really interested in how many dollars you give to the needy or to the church or to whatever organization or how you help your neighbor. The, the dollar figure is unimportant, but it's that amount that is a sacrifice for you. What percentage of what you have available are you using to do that? Is it just what's easy? Or are you really digging in and saying, man, I'm going to have to give something up to do that? Because he says that's what God is interested in. Even the tithe that God established in the Old Testament was a percentage, 10%. And we kind of think of this backward because the truth is, it's all God's. Remember I said early on, he provides you it. We should be super excited that he gets, he says, you get to have 90% of everything you've worked for. I'll let you keep 90% of everything, all the labor you've done, I'll let you keep 90% of it. And you can, then you can live on that. It's a way better deal than the government gives us, right? I mean. They don't, they don't only take 10%. Right, so so that, that was the tithe. It was 10%. That was established in the Old Testament. There's nothing in the New Testament, by the way, that abolishes that. A tithe means a tenth. A tithe is still 10%. And although it's not the primary focus of our series that we're going uh, to go through over the next few weeks, I'm going to stop for just a minute. We're going to talk about this tithe because I think it's important. And I think if we don't talk about it, I would be remiss. I think we'd be skimming over something that's very important. Your tithe is an expectation of God. The Bible clearly says this. You're never off the hook. If you consider yourself a follower of Christ and you're part of a body, he expects that you're giving a tithe. And your tithe is a continual, uh, consistent 10% that you're bringing to the local church. And, and he says it's an act of obedience. It's what we're expected to do. It should be a part of living out your normal faith life. Your life in Christ should just, should just, be, a part, it should just be a part of it. It should be like breathing. It's expected. Now, I'm not talking about legalism, okay? I'm not talking about I'm not saying this, so here's what I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say that if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a believer, if you call yourself a believer and you're not tithing, then I would doubt your, that your salvation is real. I would never say that. Okay? This is not a salvation issue. It's an obedience issue. But I will say it this way. The leadership of life, we expect that our, that our followers of Christ that are part of this body are giving 10%. And God, in his word, clearly says he expects that. Now, I'm not going to belabor the point. I'm just going to say now the ball is fully in your court. <laughs> See, now I'm off the hook. <clears throat> so, but during our series today, we're not going to really focus on that. That is a separate issue. That's something that's consistent. It, it, when you come in here and the lights are on and the cameras work and the parking lot has lines painted on it and the building is warmer than 30 degrees when it's 30 degrees outside, that's because you're giving a tithe. That goes to the local church. Now, here's the cool thing. We usually have enough that we also take a portion of that and we give it outside the church anyway. But, but your role, according to the way God set it up, is to bring that in here. So moving on from that. But that's not this series. That's separate. This series is talking about something over and above, extending our love, the love of God that he's extended to us to others, different from our tithe. It's an additional kind of giving. It's an other kind of thing. And our long-term plan is that with these organizations that we're, I'm going to talk about in just a minute, with these organizations that we will have an ongoing relationship with them. And so every year about this time, maybe we'll launch a Be Rich. And 
perhaps as our relationships grow and we learn more about their specific needs and maybe they'll have physical needs, we can, we can have a volunteer group that can go and work and do physical labor, get their hands dirty and help them organize or whatever. So, but since we're just launching this now and we're sort of the first time doing this and it's a new venture for us, what we're, our plan is to make this primarily a financial gift. There'll be one exception I'll talk about later. Um, so I'm going to jump right in. We're going to talk about the four organizations that we are going to be rich toward over the next few weeks. And here they are. The first one is called House of Hope. House of Hope has been in uh, this community for several years now. Um, Scott Holliday is one of the board members, and so we certainly have a connection there. Um, Tom Felger is the founder of that organization. They used to be connected with the national organization called House of Hope. They aren't anymore. They're independent. They didn't have a falling out. They just administratively were able to be more efficient without having to have uh, the oversight from Florida. And so they, they do that now. They're fully funded by uh, charitable giving. Uh, there are some grants and things. But we decided we're going to partner with them. Now, they provide a place for residency, a residency program for young boys, teenagers that are in trouble. I mean, sometimes their parents are ready to throw them out. There's often drugs involved or legal things involved. They've never had modeled what it looks like to be a godly father, a godly young man, let alone a godly man. And so that's where House of Hope steps in. They have a school downtown. They have administration downtown. They have a farm out on the west side. And at the farm, the kids get to work. They work hard, but they learn that there's a reward for their work, and they learn those kind of skills. But they're also infused constantly with the gospel message that Jesus loves them and God has a plan for their life. And that's the big difference. They counsel the families. If the families aren't on board, they don't even take the kids. So it's a changing of that, that home environment and those families. And so we're going to partner with them. We're going to try to change lives for the better. So that's one of the organizations. Uh, the other one, uh, the next one is going to be Helping Hands Pregnancy Resource Center. Helping Hands, I had a great opportunity to sit down this week and talk with the director of that organization. And that's uh, Brandy Ashelman. Boy, she is on fire for God. She has such a heart for these young ladies. And I want to tell you this. Helping Hands is, here's what they're not. Helping Hands is not a place where girls go so they don't get an abortion. And I know we sort of think that that gets some bailout so kids don't get an abortion. That's not it at all. They're very pro-life. I mean, that's clearly their stance. But these are, this is an organization that pours into the lives of these girls that found themselves in a situation because they made bad choices. I get it. But they pour the love of God into them and they help meet their basic needs. They counsel with them. They counsel with their surrounding family. They counsel sometimes with the father of the baby if he's involved. It's a great organization. They have a great plan. They are opening another office in Montpelier. And so here's the one exception to the financial versus the hands-on. In Montpelier, they were gifted a building. Somebody donated a building that they can have. It's not costing them anything. They also have a donation to cover all the renovation expenses, including supplies. What they need is bodies. They need people that can do drywall work. They can do plumbing work. They can do bathroom fixtures and blah, 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 and so forth, and flooring and whatever. So if you're interested in, in, in joining us, not just financially, but also in this way where you can do work for them, uh, I'm going to have you contact the church office because I told them we'd try to keep her from getting a bunch of phone calls and we try to handle that. So if, you, if that's something you're interested in, you can let us know. Put that on your comment card maybe or something. Um, I hate to, I didn't want to really go there, but that is the one exception to just uh, doing, being a financial blessing uh, during this go-round. So that's Helping Hands. Now the, another one we're doing that's a local one is the Connecting Center. Connecting Center is downtown. 
Connecticut Center provides some places for folks who don't have any shelter. They have no place to live. Uh, they have uh, some temporary short-term residence situations set up. Uh, there are criteria you have to meet. Um, but they also do other things. They, they're in, investing in people, teaching them how to fill out a job application, how you go to do a job interview. They're teaching them some other life skills, maybe how to balance a checkbook, whatever. But they're also, all of that is infused with the message of the gospel, knowing that without Christ, none of that change is going to happen. And so we want to partner with them too. We've been working with them. Every church, or virtually, or, well, I don't know every, multiple churches in town are, have their hand and are active in working with the Connecting Center. So that's not just us. But this is a, we're going to build up and do a, an additional special gift for them. So, so that's, that's the third one of our local uh, organizations that we're going to bless. There's one global organization we're going to bless, and that is African Bible College, ABC. Um, they have campuses in three places in Africa. We're affiliated, or we have been working with the one in Liberia. So that's what we're going to do. We're going we're to bless them financially. In Liberia, they have a campus that's been open for a few years. Uh, Kent Ringer is a commonly spending time there teaching at that university campus. Uh, they have multiple uh, students. They have a chapel that was built several years ago, and we were instrumental in helping finish that building. We did some of the roofing, and uh, Dave Smith, who was on our... our what toys, what do we call that? That's not the drum kit, but the percussion toys, whatever. Uh, he has, he, he's played in that building. We got a picture of that, Ron? We got the chapel building, maybe? Yeah. Dave Smith has played in that building. He played the drum kit during some worship services when he was over there in like 011 or something. Anyway, so that's on the campus there where the university is in Liberia. So we're going to partner with them too. There's a student I want to highlight because this is just one of many stories, but her name is uh, Tumbe. Tumbe is a young lady who's a student at the university there, and she was a Muslim. She grew up in a Muslim household. She was, and as a female in that culture, in a Muslim household, you're a slave, you're property. You might as well be the wheelbarrow out back hauling lumber. Uh, she was beaten severely. She had a terrible growing up. She was beaten so severely one time with a wire whip, steel wire whip, that it gouged her left eye badly, and she's blind in her left eye. But as a result of what's going on in there, the, the, the missionary work that's going on through ABC, she heard the message of Jesus Christ and became a Christian. Out of her Muslim faith, she becomes to accept Christ. So changed was she that she decided she had to go and learn how she could then tell others. And she wanted the tools and she wanted to learn about the Bible. And so now she's a student there. But it's a huge financial burden for these students to do this. And so we're going we're gonna to have money there available to help them finish this. And just in the, in the time she's been there, already some of her family members, her former Muslim family members, have come to know Christ. People in her village have had their hearts changed and are, are coming to know Christ. It's an amazing story, and we're going to partner with, with these guys and help these students to become missionaries in their home field. So that's the fourth one. Some of these you've already worked with, like the Liberian thing and the Connecting Center. The other two are really fairly new for us. So the big question is this. Why, David? What? I mean, we, we kind of do, we kind of give a little here and there, and we're busy with a lot of things. Why, why do we want to make a big deal about loving others and blessing others financially? And, um, and really it comes down to this. When a church comes into a community, because I'm going to reshape the question a little bit. When a church comes into a community, the community expects that things will get better. They expect maybe there'll be some positive influence because the church is there. And, I, and it's good that they expect that because inherently people know that God has something good, but they just don't know how to put their finger on what it is. But from our perspective, let me ask you, 
why do we want to be a positive influence? What, what is it that drives us to be a positive influence and want to come in and change our community? And the answer is simply this. God's extravagant generosity toward us compels us to do so. It compels us to be extravagantly generous toward others. We are simply reflecting out of gratitude for what he's already done for us. We're going we're gonna to pay it forward and love others because we've been so amazingly loved. And as a matter of fact, this should drive everything in our lives when you think about it. The way we interact with our wives, the relationship we have with our husband, the way we, the way we behave toward our kids, the way our kids, if you're a teenager, the way you behave toward your parents, the way you behave toward your neighbor, toward your coworker, the way you submit to your boss, the way if you're a boss, you don't lord over your subordinates. All that should be driven by this very idea. We are to behave and be guided in our behavior by the way God behaved toward us, which was complete and total surrender and love. And I'm going to get to that a little bit in just a minute. So as Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover before he was crucified, he called his, he had his disciples together and he was teaching. And one of the things he taught was really interesting. Um, he said this in John 13, 34. He said, a new command I give you. Which is interesting because that means he's already given some commands. Because this is a new one. And so I'll hearken back before we finish the verse. I'm going to hearken back to the Sermon on the Mount when he says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. What we call the golden rule. Which is an amazing teaching. But watch what Jesus does here. Jesus moves the standard up a level. He says this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And that's, and that's great when you hear it said, but what's really amazing is what happens immediately after that. He says, okay, guys, come around. You have to love the way I'm loving you. And then what's he do? He gets on his knees and he gets out a bucket and he washes their feet. He says, I'm going to love you this way. I'm a servant. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to make myself less than you. And that's how I'm going to love you. And I expect you to do the same. And then a few hours later, he went to the cross and died for their sins. So it wasn't just words. Jesus said, love the way I love. Oh, and let me show you how. I'm a servant who will die for you. That is compelling love that should make us love others. It was completely selfless. He held nothing back. And I saw this in another, I saw this, uh, this sort of encapsulated teaching in a message I was watching some time ago, and they called this the platinum rule, and I really like it, so I'm going to steal it. Um, so we have the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And then Jesus ramps it up with what I'm going to call the platinum rule. He says this, do unto others as Christ has done unto you. That's what he's saying. As I've loved you, you love each other. He says, love the way I love. Don't love the way the world loves, because the world loves like this. And it's not inherently terrible, but the world would say this. Well, you've been generous to me, so, so I'm going to be generous to you. Which is not bad. If someone's good to you, you should be good. You should be generous back. That's okay. But Jesus didn't call us to pay it back. See, Jesus called us to pay it forward. See, Jesus didn't say, you, matter of fact, he said, he said, he really was saying this. Don't go out and ask someone to earn your love. Because you should, sure didn't earn mine. Remember that? Remember God saying, uh, God, God loved you while you were yet. He loved you so much that while you were yet lost, 
sinners, lost in your trespass, in that state I still loved you. You had done nothing to earn his love. He says, so don't make others earn your love. You love because that's the way I love you. It's compelling. He even, he even in the Sermon on the Mount told us one time, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. See, these are compelling reasons why we want to impact our community with the love of God and show that God loves you. God loves people even if they don't care about him because we've all found ourselves in that place. We all had a season we didn't care about God before we came to know him, but God loved us anyway. And so we're called to do the exact same thing. So we're going to be generous to those in our community. I'm going to talk for just a minute about religion, which is an interesting word. I'm going to talk about generosity and the way God, uh, the way God sort of links the two into something that's functional. So um, the kind of religion that God finds acceptable is what we're going to talk about. And we're going to read from the book of James in a minute. Now I want to give a little background here. James was Jesus' brother. So James was Jesus' brother. Think about that for a minute. Who, how many has a brother? Anyone? Come on, guys. Has or have had brothers? A lot of hands, I'm sure. Okay, so let me ask you, because the story is this. When James, or when Jesus was going through his ministry, James didn't believe he was the Son of God. He was not a believer. James that wasn't a believer didn't come to believe on Christ as Lord until after the resurrection. But let me ask you this. Can you fault him? Let me ask you, if, if when you were growing up, is there anything your brother could have done to convince you that he was the son of God? No way, man. My brother was 13 months older than me. We were like, no way. Uh-uh. I mean, he was, he was okay. <laughs> son of God, I'm just not buying it, right? Which is all the more reason for me that it's compelling that James was being truthful when he wrote this letter about believing that his brother was the Christ. There's no way a brother would think, about, think that about their brother. Because he's just like, well, you're no longer just my brother, now you're my Lord. That is a leap that makes me believe that he knows what he's talking about and Jesus was who he said he was. So, James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this letter. And in there, the primary theme was that you can't just say you believe. You have to live it. That's the, that goes through everything. Here's the kind of verses, here's the kind of uh, interesting verses that we all kind of know, but these are out of James. Uh, be, don't be just hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. That's James, right? That's a toughie. We're supposed to live it out. Oh, he also said this. He said, faith without works is dead. That's harsh. So if you're not acting out your faith, do you have faith? I'm just quoting James. He's a tough one. So we're going to look at another verse he wrote that's also a tough one. And we're going to look at this. This is uh, James 1, 27. And I'm going to read the first part of it, then we're going to talk about it. It says this. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. And then there's more to it, but we're going to talk about it. If you were to fill that in, based on your experience, what you think religion is that God finds pure and acceptable, what would it be? How would you fill in that blank? Because when I was growing up, when I, my experience, given to me by my, my mom and my grandmother mostly, it was one thing. And it was really this. And this is sort of unfortunate, but this is really where my heart was. Here's what I thought religion that God thought was acceptable was. That every time the door were, doors were open at church, I went. Go to church every time the doors were open. 
invite people to come on Sunday and pray before meals. Pretty much covered it. And I thought this was like, God was going to be happy if I did those things. Those are the things that he was really wanting out of me in my quote-unquote religion. Now, um, yeah, every time the doors were open, trust me, I was there. Sometimes kicking and screaming, dragging, whatever. But if the doors were open, we were there. And that was a good thing, but it was just religious works for me. Now, praying when it, before meals, that's, that was so in my DNA, I couldn't have a, I couldn't have a potato chip without having to stop and pray. It, just, it was just in me. So I'm just going to stop there and say two out of three ain't bad. Um, I, I didn't invite a lot of people to come on Sunday. So grandma, sorry. Mom, sorry. Um, but this is what I thought religion was. I thought this is what would please God. If I was doing these things, God would say, yeah, that's good religion. But what's God say that this kind of religion is? And it's this. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's a lot harder than just making sure you go to church whenever they have a service. That's a lot harder than that. That's a lot more work. That takes a lot out of my, my me time if I'm going to do that. Clearly, it's pointing out a couple of groups here. It, it mentions wives without husbands, and it mentions children without parents. But I think what he's really doing here is he's setting up a type of person. These are people that are in, they're in periods of distress that don't have the normal components that they're supposed to have. They're missing major needs in their life. So it doesn't have to be a widow or orphan, I think, to meet this criteria. I think that the homeless or somebody who's jobless for an extended period of time and can't, even if, they're, even if the unit of the family is all put together, but they don't have any resources, I think they fall into this category. And so we're supposed to be intervening in their lives to alleviate their distress. That's what we're supposed to be doing. But the second part we often overlook because it's easy to, to come up with something that we're supposed to do, right? We're supposed to look after the widows and orphans, okay. But the last part, and don't be polluted by the world. Now, I think these two go together in the same verse for a very important reason. If you are going to find yourself going to where people in distress are in order to help serve their needs, you're going to find yourself in environments that are risky. You're going to find yourself in environments where you can be tempted. You're going to find yourself in environments where things can rise up in you that aren't godly. For instance, righteous indignation. You can become angry at the situation. You can become mad at the system. You can have a holy or an unholy anger towards somebody. Once again, we forget who our enemy is. We're, you know, Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Our enemies are never the people involved in these situations. But it's easy when we get in those environments to let our emotions take over and we suddenly, we're, we're falling right in and then we become tempted and we become part of the problem and no longer part of the solution. And that's why I think James put this, puts this warning in here. Don't be polluted. Don't be uh, affected by the world when, you, when you're doing these good works looking after widows and orphans and people of that kind of distress. So I'm going to break it down into a more, more e an easier way to say it. Acceptable God-honoring religion does two things. God-honoring God -honoring religion alleviates distress and it avoids behaviors that create it. So if you're getting in those environments and you're getting sucked in and you're becoming ungodly yourself, you're now not, you're not alleviating stress, now you're adding to the stress. So you're supposed to avoid those behaviors that create it. 
And that requires us to be two things. To accomplish these two things, we have to be two things. First of all, we have to be selfless. It requires selflessness of us. That means we're going to have to put ourselves out there for someone else. Someone else becomes more important than us for a time. We allow ourselves to take a second seat, a back row to whoever we're ministering to. Their needs become more important than ours. That's called selflessness. And the other part is self-control. Lest you be tempted into seeing the situation wrongly. You have to be prayed up and in God's strength, but we have to control ourselves. Don't get sucked into the anger and the, and the despair of the moment. Realize that you're going with God. Selflessness and self-control are required in order for us to alleviate distress and avoid behaviors that create it. So that's, so that's what we're talking about when we're talking about going out and, and changing the world and loving others. As our plan launches this year for our first Be Rich series, we're going to do it financially first because we don't have those relationships yet where we know how to send people in to do the work just yet. Our plan is to move into service areas in the future, but right now we want to just do that. Um, the cool part is this. When we as a church and we as individuals in the church, when we move in this way financially and in service, you get credit in heaven. Remember, remember back in Timothy? You're storing up treasure as a firm foundation for the life to come. You get credit in heaven, but the church gets credit here on earth, which brings God glory. You get credit in heaven, the church gets the credit here on earth, which brings God glory. And that's what we're supposed to be doing as the church. That's how we love. That's how we love the way Jesus loves, self-sacrificing and never about us. So here's how it works. I'm going to break it down. This is the answer. This is, this is the program, if you will. If you consider yourself a regular attender here, you say, yep, I go to life, I'm a member here. Um, then, then this is for you. If you're just a visitor today, you came on a great day because this, is, this message is about what we hope to be as a church, changing our community, not afraid to stand up and make a difference and make a sacrifice. So, but if you're, so, so the program isn't for you, but I'm glad you got to hear it. If this is your regular home church, here's what we want, $40. $40 from every member of Life Community over the next three weeks. That's what we're asking for. Now, for some of you, you're going to say, 40 bucks, man. That's like a mountain to climb for some people, and I get that. I understand that. Let me encourage you in a couple of ways. First of all, God knows what your circumstance is. We've prayed about this. This is the number we've come up with. So God knows your circumstance. And I think if you will move in faith and find a way to sacrifice something and squeak this money out, and I know no one wants to hear, hear us beg for money, but none of this stays here. This is going out to touch others. But if you will do that, God will bless you in a way you can't imagine. Now... Is he going to pay your 40 bucks back? Probably not. He might. You might get a miraculous check in the mail for $40, but chances are that's not going to happen. But the blessings may be things you can't put a money price on. So let me encourage you that way if you're in that category. Other people in here could easily get 40 bucks. 40 bucks isn't really a big deal. And if that's you, I would, I would urge you to do this. Ramp it up. Give twice that. Give three times that. Maybe you're in a position where you could just move the decimal point over one and give $400. That would be amazing. That would make a huge influence. If it's not sacrifice for you, though, then you're not giving enough. If you're not giving something up, if it doesn't feel like, ooh, man, I'm going to have to really pray about that. That's God, you're going to have to help me do this. Then you're not at the right level yet. That's the sense you need to have. Some of you, and this sounds crazy, some of you can move the decimal point two places. 
There will be a few people between the two or three services we have here over the weekend, there will be three or four people that could give $4,000. And if that's you, I challenge you to do it because you know that's what God is asking. So, but the bottom line is we'd like, to, we'd like everybody to participate. Everybody that we can. If you can, here, here's the deal. If you're a family of three, and if you have a luxury one day a week, one day a week, you go out, say, to El Camino and have lunch or dinner, or you go to Billy Ann's or whatever, one day a week. If you skip three weeks of going to El Camino, you got more than $40 saved already. So there's ways to do it. You just have to pray about it and be, and be steadfast and think about it. And, and then let God bless you for it. Receive the blessing. It'll be great. So that's how the program's going to work. If you're someone that writes a check every day for, your, for every week or every other week for your tithe or whatever, during this, during this time, these next three weeks during this series, if you're going to write a check for the, for the Be Rich deal, make a separate check. Don't write it on the same check. Don't just like add 40 to your regular check because it, it makes the accounting tough. So just write a separate check, stick it in the envelope and put it in the box on your way out. If you're a cash person, do a separate envelope, put $40 in there, mark it Be Rich and put that in there and we'll make sure it gets to the right place. None of that money for the Be Rich, no Be Rich giving is going to go to buy Chad a nice cherry wood desk, I promise you. We're not going to put a new picture in Joy's office so she can stare at it and go, ooh, that's a beautiful Rembrandt. Not going to happen. We're going to bless people outside these walls with this money, so don't do that. So the other caution I want to give you is this. Remember I said this is separate from your tithe. If you are a regular giver, and, and I've already challenged you, if you're a regular member here, you should be. Don't reduce your tithe by $40 to give to the Be Rich. You can fool us, but you can't fool God. And you're not blessing anybody, and you're certainly not blessing yourself. In a way, you're stealing from God. So don't do that. This is an additional thing. Those are completely separate issues. The tithing keeps the doors open here, keeps me coming up here so you guys can be bored every Sunday, that whatever. Um, okay, so, so do this prayerfully, guys. And so your next question is, well, then how do I do it? How am I going to make this happen? How, how does this work? And that's cool you're asking because next week, Chad, part two of this is how do I do it? How do we do it? How do we come up with the money? How, do, how, are we gonna, how does this roll in our lives? And how are we going to be able to do this so we can reach out and touch people? And Chad's going to do a whole message on that. So come back next week and be encouraged. But let's be excited about this as a way we can give back to our community and we can practice being rich toward others. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity for us to give back what you've so greatly blessed us with. Even if it's small, Lord, help us to be strong, to give a portion of that back so that we can advance your kingdom, we can exclaim your love to a lost and broken world that so desperately needs to hear it. Father, I pray that we would simply meet needs, that people would listen when we tell them God loves them. The Lord, bless us all. Help us to worship greatly as we get ready to go home. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.